This Honest Money podcast is brought to you by Placent Investment Management, informed by science, guided by insight. Placent Investment Management is a registered financial service provider. Welcome to another episode of Honest Money. Uh, it's an interesting one today because we're actually back in person, which has been a, kind of a two-year deal of, uh, of recording with, uh, with, with Zoom and stuff. So I'm really thrilled to have a, a guest on the show. I'm going to explain his title uh, because it's a long one. Rupert Hare, uh, co-head of multi-asset at Prescient Investment Management. Rupert, welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and it's great to be back in person. It's great to see an actual face behind the name. Um, so what I do at Prescient, I'm the co-head of multi-asset. That means that we, our job is to find the correct mix of asset classes uh, for a longer term portfolio. So a mix of equities, bonds, cash, offshore, onshore, all those sorts of things. Uh, our job is to find the correct mix of those asset classes. And, and that's key for today's topic, which is uh, we, we want to talk a little bit about the benefits of investing overseas or offshore investing. Uh, and so I thought it's great to have you on because that's exactly part of your ambit is uh, you're not here to say uh, you, you're an overseas money manager and that's the only thing that you do or a local manager. You, you, can, you can literally look at the world and, and pretty much every investable asset within that. Yeah, that's spot on. So for us, we're very much top down, which means that we don't necessarily, we're not a South African house, or we're not a European house. We have a completely unconstrained mandate. So our job is, as I said, to find the correct mix of both onshore and offshore as well as asset classes. So, so let's talk through, uh, if I'm sitting in South Africa, I'm earning a salary here, uh, why on earth would I want to send money out? What's the deal? Right, so the, the, the most basic concept is diversification. And we know that South Africa is a great economy. We're all relatively biased towards South Africa. We support the Springboks, we support the Proteas of Bafana Bafana. So we have a home bias and, and that, that we know. But there's also a significant benefit to sending quite a significant amount of your money offshore. Because remember that South Africa is less than 1% of global GDP and less than 1% of the global capital markets. So as an investor, the, the saying goes, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And we know there's, there's, it's not nowhere truer than in South Africa. We do go through uh, times of trouble uh, in the shorter and longer term. So it's much better to push a lot of your money or some portion of your money offshore to keep that as a nest egg for long-term retirement in particular. Okay, so if I'm, if I'm here and I'm generating uh, cash that I can save on a monthly basis, a portion of that should go uh, into the rest of the world markets. Part of that is, I would guess, and uh, I mean from my perspective, that I get to buy uh, companies that I just can't find in South Africa. So I get to buy the Microsofts, um, the Amazons, uh, the pharmaceutical businesses, and, and while we've got some great businesses here, uh, we don't have those. And there isn't a way to buy them in, in SA. Yes, but on. So South Africa is a very concentrated market in terms of the equity offerings that we can invest in. Even more so now, you've seen a couple of delistings of late. Um, so the capital markets are becoming less liquid, so more difficult to invest in. The exposures that you get within South Africa are relatively concentrated to certain sectors. So in particular, resources. We know that we're a resource-generating country. And then also things like consumer discretion, and that's, think of NASPERS. If you've got the offshoots of NASPERS, it's all about consumer-related products. But what about all the other industries that we don't have large exposure to in South Africa? Um, things like tech stocks. Yes, we get it through NASPERS indirectly from the offshore exposure already. But you know, as you say, in exposure to Apple, exposure to Microsoft, all those big names, even the smaller names, 
really beneficial for a long-term investor within their portfolio. Okay, so so um, I mean, for me, it's uh, I don't want to say obvious, but I think it's a key point that that you have a big gap in your investment strategy if you only invest in SA. It's it's critical that you actually have exposure to both. Yeah, definitely. Uh, is it uh, is it an unfair question to say? Is there a sort of an ideal amount that someone should have? I mean, if you've got the globe, uh, you know, I mean, listening to some of the commentators in our country, especially those that are quite biased, that they would kind of. You know, sell the fear argument and say, "Well, send every cent of your money out of South Africa." Um, I mean, is that is that a valid argument? Is that what we should be doing? Yeah. So let's get to that one first. It's a very, very good point. A lot of people will sell that fear mongering story, if you like. There's a very good example. So everybody says, "Put your money offshore. The rand is is going to the dogs." Right? That's a classic one. And you've seen the rand pricing from, let's say, five rand to the dollar in the late 1990s all the way out to above 17 or hovering around 17 rand to the dollar now. And the popular misconception is that if you had put your money at that five rand level into the offshore market, you would have made all of that money in the seven, out to 17 rand to the dollar. There's actually an interesting example though. If, if you compared that money, that let's call it five rand that you put offshore and you invested into an offshore bank account, if you'd done the same thing with that five rand and put it into a South African bank account, you would actually be ahead of your offshore, uh, current offshore um, amount, right? right? Yeah, so quite a surprise. So my point being that the reason for going offshore isn't necessarily to avoid um, this RAND risk. The RAND is a very high yielding currency. We get very good yields in our bank accounts. So just explain that, yielding interest rates. Interest rates in the bank accounts, right? Um, versus in, for instance, America, where you've got almost 0% in your bank account. So people have to keep that in mind, um, both uh, that, that yield profile, the, inf the um, interest rates that we get, and the, the long-term journey of the round. It's meant to go out to 17. In fact, in two years' time, it's probably going to be 18, and then 19, and then 20, and so on. It's just by design. And if I'm sitting in a position like that and I'm watching that, uh, it doesn't mean, for example, that my capital is going backwards. I, I mean, I think clearly just... You know, the honest money view is please don't put your money in bank accounts for the next decade. No, That's a terrible idea. Great example to show us the power of the RAND, but, but uh, yeah, yeah uh, we, we like cash for very specific purposes, not for uh, wealth creation. Yeah. But um, if you're putting money into, uh, into RAND assets, the idea there is that you're going to get either the interest rate growth that's faster than what you're getting overseas and faster than what the rand's falling apart. Secondly, that the capital growth that you get from, from whether it be shares, uh, bonds or property shares, those would generally be a bit quicker than, than the depreciation of the rand as well. So it's not a, a one-way losing bet to say, um, if I do keep my assets in rands, I have to write off the growth. You, you, that's your comment. Is it? 100%. But don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go offshore. In fact, I'm going to get to why we should go offshore. But I just wanted to, to um, quash the, the rumors as to why a lot of people do go offshore, right? And there are other reasons why it's very important that outweigh that, other, that first reason I just talked about on the interest rates. There are other reasons why you would want to go offshore in a portfolio. Now that goes back to the all the eggs in the one basket approach, right? In the South African uh, stock market, 40 shares are highly liquid. Um, 120 are reasonably liquid, and beyond that, you basically can't trade them. So, for us, we're very concentrated in terms of what's on the menu. It's like you go into a restaurant and you've only got the starters on the menu, right? If you have the opportunity to go abroad, you've got literally tens of thousands of stocks that you can pick from, 
So from a diversification point of view, in other words, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, it makes complete sense to put more money offshore than onshore. At least more money than, um, than nothing, something offshore. So um, the unfair question, if I'm sitting here, how, how much should I put, a, is, there, is there a number for every individual or, is, or should each of us have a different amount depending on our circumstances? Yeah, so I mean the classic is that um, you put your growth assets offshore um, because that's got your exposure to that broader equity market and then onshore, um, if you ever do hold cash, which is, I agree, completely um, inefficient, but the shorter term monies, like an income type thing that you're getting on, on retirees, for example, they might keep a, a bit more money onshore because they can't afford that roller coaster that we all know is the round, right? So, so there is a mix and it depends on where you are in your life circumstances. Pre-retirement, post-retirement, how young you are, how old you are, all comes into play in that, in that equation. Okay. Uh, a, a good answer. I think it's an unfair question. So, so let, let me uh, add my own view. And, and, and to me, I think it does depend on your age and also your relative wealth. So, so I think people that are, are in a position that have intergenerational money, they, they know they're going to leave money behind to their children or their children's children, even if they're not born yet. I, I would say that they need to have uh, somewhere around 75% of their investments out of South Africa. Uh, whereas if you know that you've got just enough to fund your own life for, for your lifetime, both pre-working and after work, th then maybe the number should be closer to 75% because you, you can't be exposed, as you said, if the RAND goes from 17 back to 12 and you're living off the money at that moment in time, that's a heck of a knock to take. So, so I think that, the, that it does, it's an unfair question to say to someone how much should we all have offshore, um, that's, uh, uh, I, I guess, but, but I think it's a, a key point. I think just on that one, our present approach is the, exactly the same thing. Um, we'll get to it just now, but we like the most offshore we can get. And that just talks towards the, the maximum diversification benefits of not just having South Africa within your portfolio, but you can also access other economies like South Africa, another emerging market, for example, that have other stocks on offer. So it just diversifies your portfolio away from that, that super concentration risk, which means that when South Africa goes to level six load shedding and the market sells down for five, 10% because of a South African concern, you are not as exposed to that as you would have been if you're 100% in South Africa. Okay. So, so let's go to uh, uh, one of the favorite sort of conversations around the, the, the coffee table or around the braai, the rand. Uh, so, you know, the, someone's listening to this uh, podcast, they decide uh, that we're, we're making sense, they start to send money out. But now, uh, you know, they're looking at the rand at 17. Uh, what do they do? Do they wait? Uh, do they time it? Yeah, so I mean, timing a currency is very difficult, and that's because of what we call exogenous risks. So risks that are beyond our control. And we all know that those, those happen. It's things like I mentioned, the ESCOM stage, stage six load shedding, or it could be a, a worldwide event like a Ukrainian invasion. I mean, I can't predict that sort of thing. When that happens, in general, the RAND tends to sell off. So if you've got money offshore, you actually make a bit more money by having that exposure. But simultaneously, you can have something which is really positive for South Africa, believe it or not, with us being- It does happen. <laughs> it does happen, yeah, right? It does, yeah. We live in a wonderful country. Things do happen which are positive for this country. So the RAND, as you said, can come from 17 all the way back down to 13. And then you get the other side of the equation where you're actually losing money by having offshore exposure. So it goes both ways. And it's about the journey. 
Yeah, and I think for me, uh, you know, the, the ideal is give yourself uh, a range to say, I'm not going to send my money out when it's a 20 to the dollar. And, I'm, and, and I mean, it would be lovely if I could time it to get to 13. I probably won't get that right. But if it's around about 15.50 or 16 or somewhere around there, just and don't be too precise. But, but then go, and, and I think also uh, be, be careful of trying to do everything in one big lump sum, the, yeah. this timing question. Yeah. Yeah, maybe phase it. Yeah. You know, you, if you've got a lump sum, divide it up into three or six tranches. That's, the, that's my view. I'm not putting words no, into it. No, I completely agree. If, you, if you're, for instance, a monthly saver and you're contributing towards some sort of asset portfolio, um, the best thing to do in any circumstance in asset management is to average in. In other words, contribute every month a little bit into it. Otherwise, you're throwing your dice down, you're putting it all on black, right? Uh, on, on, on your, in your game uh, in the casino. Yeah. So rather just take the small measured bets um, and don't try and time the market because you can't control it. And I think in a decade or two, that decision would be a good one no matter what the exchange rate was. So, so I think it's just, you know, don't, don't, don't try and be too clever. Um, markets have a way of humbling us if we, the moment we think yeah, we know better. That's for sure. Uh, so so I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that we're, we're running out of time, Rupert, and I've got uh, um, one question that I'm going to prepare you for that you can't answer just yet. It's the, it's the trick question of all of our guests, which is, uh, if you were, knowing what you know today, uh, if you were to meet the 21-year-old Rupert, what would be the one lesson you would want to teach yourself with, with the benefit of experience now? So we're going to come to that, and I'll, I'll, I'll let, you, uh, let, let you chew on the trick question. Uh, uh, and it doesn't have to be money. Uh, um, and, and then just in, in the interim, is there something else that, uh, that, that you would want our, our, our listeners to know about this, uh, this global investing that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I think there's another concept behind global investing, and that's how do you actually access those global investments. And I just wanted to stress that do your work and just make sure that you're accessing them at low fees, because that makes a massive difference on your overall uh, longer term returns. And there are ways and means of accessing offshore investments um, through, for instance, things like feeder funds in South Africa. Um, you can go direct offshore, slightly more difficult, but I just say think twice um, and make a good plan before you, you know, start to push that money offshore um, and pay significant fees um, for both the funds and crossing um, the currency, so buying your dollars with your rands. Yeah, I must, I must say, I love that point. Um, I'm going to talk a bit now to give you time to prepare. Uh, but, but I think that someone who's doing a debit order on their account and, and they've got, you know, whether it be 500 or 5,000 rand a month, uh, investing it into RAND-denominated overseas unit trust. That's what a feeder fund is called. That's the, the, the jargon for that. Doing it on a monthly basis makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't think it makes sense to convert your 5,000 rand into dollars and invest it overseas. So I, I agree with that point uh, 100%. Uh, if you're doing chunky amounts, and, and to me chunky amounts are somewhere around 500,000 rand or more, I think it's worth going, paying the costs of converting your rands into the foreign exchange and sending it out. And as Rupert says, I think the, uh, you know, the, the world is pretty big out there. So, so be, be careful that you um, research your, your, your investments carefully. Secondly, fees is always a, a key point for us. Um, I, I know we, we talk about fees every now and then, and we'll be talking about it again, but, but, but I think it's a key, it is a key point. And then make sure you understand the product. Make sure you understand what you're going into. If you don't understand it, don't buy it. I, you know, I think that's a key point there. Yeah. Great. I mean, so okay, I guess I can come back to your question or having given it some thought. <laughs> um, I could say many things. Um, I probably would get in trouble with them. So <laughs> let's keep it simple. I'd say outside of finance now, if you're young and looking to 
further your career in some way or another. And this is also in finance. It's the way that I went in finance. My advice would be to pick up programming, computer programming. And this sounds a bit abstract, but the world is changing in that direction. And um, it's an incredible skill to have in any, any type of job. And I think in, in 10 or 20 years' time, you'll be forever grateful if you have done so. It's a, it's a PowerPoint. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, for, for all of us now learning, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm probably too old. Producers, Steve is smiling at me uh, to, to, to spend too much time on programming, but, but actually you're never too old. Never too old, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and certainly uh, if you're young enough, it's, it is a heck of a skill, even if you never plan to be a programmer. Of course. It's, it's a more of a fundamental understanding of how most things around us work. So uh, on that note, uh, uh, Rupert Hay, co-head of, uh, of multi-asset at Prescient Investment Management. Thanks so much for joining us. I really enjoyed it. The time flew uh, and, and I'm sure our listeners will get great value out of yeah, this. Yeah, thanks very much for having me and hope to be back soon. Prescient Investment Management, informed by science, guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is a registered financial service provider.